0: Christchurch, Church, New Malden, 1st of September 2019, 6.30 service. Ruth Henson speaking in the series Understanding the Covenant with Noah and Creation. Today we're embarking on a series of sermons entitled Understanding the Covenant. Covenant is another of those Bible words which we hear a lot but perhaps don't fully grasp or understand. We may well hear frequent references to God's covenant with his people in our Bible readings or talks. And then in the communion service, we hear the words of Jesus saying, this is my blood of the new covenant. But could we explain what this key biblical theme actually means or how it fits into the story of the Bible? Now, I know some of you enjoy hearing snippets from our bi-monthly preachers' meetings, and this month's meeting is certainly worth a mention. Stephen had flagged up to us ahead of the meeting that we would be focusing on the covenant, and had even sent us some homework beforehand in the form of two chapters to read, though he did assure us, and I quote, that there certainly won't be a test. Indeed. There wasn't a test, but there was a quiz. Now, I'm a teacher. I know what that really means. We had 10 minutes to complete it, and Nathan even helpfully provided the countdown music as our time was running out at the end. But it was okay, because Stephen assured us that we wouldn't have to share our answers if we didn't want to, although I'm not sure how much choice you have when you're asked... And what did you put down for that one? (laughs) But anyway, none of us were immediately sacked from the preaching team, so I guessed we must have done okay. But in all seriousness, that exercise certainly confirmed to me that I had a lot more to grasp about how the covenant is not just something that crops up every now and then in the Bible, but rather is a vital and central theme key to our understanding of God's rescue plan because of this fact we're actually focusing on the covenant across all three services as our preaching program explains the centrality of the covenant theme throughout the bible is not always recognized in fact many christians are unaware that testament is another word for covenant and that the Old and New Covenant is thus used to describe the two main sections of the Bible. The Covenant is God's rescue plan for the world, and this autumn we will be exploring the Covenant theme across all three of our services and seeking to understand its importance to our Christian faith. In relation to our specific sermon series here at 6.30, it goes on to say, As stated, God's covenant is a recurring theme throughout the Bible, with each of its different stages adding something vital to the story of its path to fulfillment. At the 6.30 service during September and October, we will work through the different stages of the covenant that God successively makes with Noah, Abraham, Moses and David, and which the prophets then speak of coming to its fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and reaching its consummation in the new creation. This evening, at the start of this new series, we are tasked primarily with understanding the covenant with Noah, but Stephen has added, and creation, in brackets and with a question mark to the title. Although the word covenant first appears in the Bible in Genesis six, in the story of Noah, as we heard read earlier. Many biblical scholars believe that there was also a covenant at creation too. The word covenant itself may be missing, but the key elements of God's covenant relationship with his people definitely appear to be present, right at the beginning of the story of the Bible. The Bible is the story of God's love for the earth and especially humankind who he longs for relationship with. And once we grasp that the covenant theme is central to this, we can recognize that the different stages of the covenant, which we will hear about over the coming weeks, both build on each other and develop, but also maintain key aspects regarding this loving relationship. We will see time and again that God is the instigator And initiator of the covenant springing from his love and his heartfelt desire for relationship with us we will see that there is a role and responsibility given to those God makes his covenant with an obedient response which they are called to fulfill unsurprisingly in the light of that we will also see God's grace at work in these covenants forgiving and remaining faithful as his people fail to live up to their side of the covenant time and again. And we will also see signposts to God's plan of rescue and redemption, giving us hope. So let's just briefly notice how those elements are all present in the creation account before concentrating on God's covenant with Noah. The concept of God as instigator and initiator is inescapable in the creation account the poetic repetitive commands of the creator god speak an amazing world into being culminating with the creation of people in his own image he immediately sets his expectations in terms of humankind's role and responsibility in genesis 1 verse 28 we read his instruction be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The second creation account in Genesis 2 puts it this way, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And also goes on to give the specific instruction regarding the fruit which they are commanded not to eat. As the fall takes place in Genesis 3, we see humankind's failure to respond obediently. This rebellion has huge consequences, as God warns them of how different their lives will be now, as they are banished from Eden, seen as the first of many exiles experienced by God's people. But even in the midst of this, we still see signs of God's faithfulness and forgiveness as he takes time to make clothes for Adam and Eve out of animal skins. And even at this earliest stage of the story of the Bible, we see the first signpost to God's plan for rescuing and redeeming his people. In verse 15 of chapter three, we read God's words to the snake, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This mysterious sounding promise, hidden amongst a curse, makes sense to us with the hindsight of recognising its fulfilment in Jesus, the wounded victor who would defeat evil. On Wednesday, when I welcome my New Year 2 class back for the new school year, one of of the first activities we will do together is create and commit to our class contract. I will initiate this activity and set my expectations in terms of behaviour, hard work and kindness. The pupils will understand the role they need to play and the responsibility they need to live up to and will pledge themselves to this by drawing round their hands, decorating them, and signing their names on them to be stuck around the outside to show their commitment. There will be an acknowledgement of the consequences for failing to live up to these expectations. I will know that there will be times in the year, probably many of them, when the contract will be broken but the hope and goal will remain of the children making strides in their learning whilst having lots of fun and building friendships. This activity for the start of the new school year is just a small picture of God's contract with his people at the creation of the world. So it seems as though we can delete the question mark and remove the brackets because there are clear signs of God's covenant relationship with his people at creation too. The prophet Hosea agrees as he writes in chapter 6 verse 7, like Adam, they have broken the covenant. But we must now turn our attention to the main theme of our talk this evening, God's covenant with Noah. In my previous teaching role, I used to teach religious education to classes from reception to year three and, aside from the Christmas story, by far the most well-known story amongst the children was that of Noah's Ark. Many of them, even though not from church-going families, would have heard the story before and in some cases even have a toy Ark at home, complete with pairs of animals. And yet, when you unpack the story and get to the heart of it, it isn't the most child-friendly, is it? It needs a PG rating, at the very least, but instead, we tone it down to a U version. Gustave Doré, the French artist, captures the real mood of the story in his gallery of Bible illustrations. In his engraving, we see a huge expanse of empty sea with one lone rock protruding a few feet above the waves. There are three terrified children on the rock, and slipping into the sea are a mother and father, trying desperately to push a fourth little child to safety. Also on the rock sits a huge tiger, vainly holding its tiny cub aloft. Bodies are floating in the water, and overhead circle exhausted vultures. Whatever else we may say about this story, it is certainly not cute. I remember reading a children's version of the story to a reception class about five years ago, right at the start of the school year, before I had a chance to get to know the pupils. Little did I know that one of the four-year-olds, called John T., was the son of a local curate. At the end of the story, a few hands went up to tell me about the version of the story they had at home, or the Noah's Ark toy in their toy box, or their favourite animal, which they'd spotted in one of the illustrations. When it was the turn of John T to speak, I immediately noticed his serious expression, but it was still a shock when he announced to the others that the version of the story I'd just read didn't really explain properly why a perfect God had to punish such a sinful world and how we all still deserve God's punishment, but can now be friends with God only because of Jesus's death on the cross. You can imagine how excited I was to hear this after I picked my chin up off the floor, even if all the other children's faces were marked with confused or blank expressions. John T was right, of course, that God's covenant with Noah has lots to teach us, including the way in which it points us to Jesus. So let's take a closer look. Genesis chapter 6 leaves us in no doubt regarding the wickedness and corruption which is rife in the world and which leads God to decide on his drastic course of action. Coming so soon after the two accounts of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, you cannot fail to be struck by the fact that the judgment borne out in the flood is like the polar opposite. Whereas God separated the waters in creation to provide the opportunity for life, in the flood, the waters came back together and life is extinguished for the majority. The earth, which was filled and teeming with life, is now all but emptied. But if the judgment of the flood is like the opposite of the creation story, at the same time, there is continuity in the next stage of the covenant, this time with the word actually being introduced. In chapter six, before we hear the word covenant, And even before we hear the description of the widespread corruption in the world, we first meet Noah, who is described as righteous, blameless and faithful. Now, we know he's not without his flaws, as we see later in the story, but he definitely seems like the best of a very bad bunch, so he is the one God chooses to make his covenant with. From verse 13... God warns Noah about his plan and gives him specific instructions regarding the building of the ark down to the exact measurements. Then it is in verse 18 that the word covenant first appears as God says to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. This covenant is extended in chapter nine, when God addresses Noah again after the flood, which we will look at in a moment. But even here in its initial form, we can note the same elements which were present at creation. God is clearly the instigator and initiator of the covenant saying, I will establish my covenant and choosing Noah as the one to be entrusted with this plan. Noah, in turn, must respond in obedience, believing God's warning and carrying out his instructions, and has a role and responsibility in picking up the dropped baton in the care of creation by filling the ark with two of every every creature. God's faithfulness in the face of humankind's failure is intrinsically evident in his preserving of this chosen group of people and his provision of rescue and redemption is equally obvious in the ark which keeps them alive. There's one extra detail which is interesting to note. It's not just Noah who God is choosing and rescuing, but also his family with him. This familial aspect of the covenant is another theme which we will often notice as the different stages of the covenant develop. God will make a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, and then with David and his line, from which will spring great David's greater son, the Messiah, Jesus, the fulfilment of the new covenant, and then with his church the family of God, us. If we fast forward to chapter 9, after the flood is over and Noah has built an altar and made a sacrifice to God, we can read the extended covenant, which God then makes with him and his sons. In verses 9 and 10 we read, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. With that resounding I at the beginning, God is clearly once again the instigator and initiator of this expanded covenant. And He is the one determining its scope, which now extends to Noah's descendants and also the creatures of the earth. Indeed, in verse 13, God goes on to talk about the covenant between me and the earth. God is demonstrating his commitment and care, not only towards humankind, but also towards the earth he has created. Which leads us to the role and responsibility entrusted to humankind at this stage of the covenant. There are clear echoes of the charge given to Adam and Eve in God's instructions to Noah and his sons at the start of chapter 9. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Here we see that covenant continuity again. Noah and his descendants are being entrusted as stewards of creation and given a second chance to fulfil the calling of humankind to rule over the world and care for it. Despite the annihilation of the flood, God has preserved humankind, has preserved his creation and has preserved humanity's calling and purpose to protect and guard that creation. We are Noah's descendants, and so that charge rests with us too. God's covenant is with His earth as well, an earth which will one day be fully restored in the new creation. But in the meantime, our role and responsibility is to steward, protect, and care for the world entrusted to us. God, We need to take the environmental crisis facing our world seriously, both as a church and as individuals. The Christian Disaster Relief Charity Tear Fund posted this prayer on Facebook just yesterday. Creator God, thank you for this amazing world you have made. Thank you for its beauty and for the abundance of life within it. We repent for the way we have abused this earth, the poisoned rivers, the toxic fumes, the polluted seas, the species we have made extinct. Forgive us. We pray for an end to man-made climate change, for the prevention of disastrous temperature rises and for nature to be restored. We pray that governments and corporations will take swift and decisive action That everyone will see your creation as a gift to be cherished not a resource to be plundered in jesus name we pray amen going back to our recurring aspects of the covenant relationship again we see god's forgiveness and faithfulness in the face of his people's failure famously God provides Noah with the sign of the rainbow as a measure of his commitment to his promise that a flood will never again destroy all living things. God is not making this promise blindly, hoping against hope that humanity has learnt its lesson now and that everything will be tickety-boo. No, in the preceding chapter, we read that as God smells the aroma of Noah's sacrifice, he says... Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Then at the start of chapter nine, God makes provision for the consequences which should take place if a murder occurs. And God would even have known that shortly afterwards, Noah himself under the influence of alcohol would fall into sinful choices. But God's forgiveness and faithfulness remain steadfast. Which leads us to the hope of rescue and redemption contained within the covenant with Noah. Four-year-old John T. had it pretty much nailed in my RE lesson all those years ago. We are all sinful and deserve God's judgment. But just as God provided an unexpected source of salvation for Noah's family in the ark, the building of which even caused much bewilderment amongst Noah's neighbors, God also provides for us a source of salvation, which was not what was expected. The Messiah nailed to a cross rather than gloriously riding into battle. The wounded victor who would defeat evil as promised by God in the curse of the snake in Genesis 3, is further foreshadowed in the means of rescue for Noah and his family. Noah's clean and perfect sacrifice after the flood described in chapter eight is pleasing to God. And it is only through the perfect sacrifice of Christ in our place that our lives can be washed clean and please our holy and righteous God. In chapter 9, verse 16, we read that God declares, Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. The hope of relationship and reconciliation with God doesn't have a use-by date. Thanks to Jesus' sacrifice, the hope we have is eternal and everlasting. So, at the start of our journey in understanding the covenant, we have seen God establish it first at creation and then with Noah, his family, and his descendants, including us. We have recognised God as the loving instigator and initiator of the covenant, longing for relationship with his people. We have acknowledged our role and responsibility to respond in obedience and specifically to take our stewardship of the earth seriously. We've been reminded of the way in which we fail to live up to our calling, but that we can still trust in God's unfailing forgiveness and faithfulness and we have seen the eternal and everlasting hope of rescue and redemption, promised mysteriously in the cursing of the snake, foreshadowed surprisingly in the ark used to save Noah's family, and then wonderfully fulfilled in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.